You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hi, good morning, River. It, uh, happy Easter to you. I'm so glad that, uh, that we could be together just a few minutes this morning. You know, if we've learned anything these last few weeks with uh, COVID-19, it's uh, the need to be flexible. Uh, and so uh, we're actually uh, recording this. This is my fifth attempt this week of recording a message for Easter. And uh, it's kind of laughable, all the, the things that happened this week. And so, uh, hey, long story short, I just am going to simplify things. I'm going to share the Easter story with you out of Matthew chapter 28 and uh, share with you the importance of Easter and what it really means for us, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You know, there was uh, quite a bit of silence at the tomb that that morning when those Roman soldiers that had been posted to guard the body of Jesus, uh, the Jews were afraid that uh, that there would be some of Jesus' followers that would come steal his body and claim that he had risen from the dead because they knew that he had predicted that he would rise from the grave. But the story is told, as we'll read in just a few minutes, uh, that God had different plans and that no plan of any human invention could prevent the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So take your Bible, if you would, or, or listen or follow along with me. And I just want to simply read the Easter story to you and uh, share with you about its importance for us as followers of Jesus. I'm reading out of Matthew chapter 28, the first gospel in the New Testament. I'm going to look at starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Jesus had just been crucified, uh, and he had been his body had been put in the grave just a couple of days prior, and so they were mourning. After their Sabbath was through, they were going to go and mourn uh, their Jesus who was dead. So they went in search of not a living Jesus, but in search of a dead Jesus. And in verse 2, the Bible says this, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. A couple of things I want you to notice about the resurrection of Jesus is that it is well attested to its reality. Jesus himself said that he would be resurrected from the dead. In fact, he told uh, the religious leaders of his day, well, while before his crucifixion, he said, uh, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And he was talking about the temple of his body, his own body as a prediction of his own resurrection. So God 
in heaven predicted that the resurrection would happen. We serve a God who says what he means, and he means what he says, and he always accomplishes what he promises to us. And he promised that Jesus would rise from the dead, and sure enough, he did. The Roman soldiers that guarded that tomb were under charge of Caesar himself. They were uh, had a high command to make sure that no funny business happened, that no one came and broke through, and they had used the seal of Caesar itself and wax upon that stone, meaning that anyone that dared would would breach that, would in, endure the wrath of Caesar upon them. And as soldiers, Roman soldiers in that day were hardened soldiers. They were battle-worn soldiers. These were not rookies. These were not soldier wannabes. These were uh, hardened soldiers that were afraid of very few things in this world, if anything. And they knew that it was their task to guard that tomb, that upon their own forfeiting of their own life, that they would be, they would uh, fail at their task. So they were ready for battle, lest anyone come and try to steal the body of Jesus. But something amazing happened on that Sunday morning, or sometime around sunrise, maybe a little before. And the Bible tells us that an angel came, and there was a huge earthquake, and that stone that had been rolled away from that cave that that Jesus' body had laid inside. That angel came and rolled the stone back and sat on top of it. And the, the Bible says that his appearance was like lightning. It was so bright. And his clothing was white as snow. And those soldiers were afraid and they trembled. And the Bible says they became like dead men. I, I presume that means they fainted, that they stiffened up and, and just became lifeless uh, before what they had seen. You know, it's interesting that not only did the soldiers attest to the resurrection, once they finally came to, to their, their senses, the Bible tells us in verse 11 and 15 that they ran back and told the religious leaders what had happened. And they created a, a ploy uh, uh, to tell them a lie. They paid them off, paid a bribe to say that, that we failed in our mission, that we, we were bad soldiers and that we allowed some to come and steal Jesus' body. But in doing so, they themselves attested to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus of what had happened. The angel himself attested that the tomb was empty. You see, the stone was rolled away, as we know, not to let Jesus out, but to let the rest of the world in. And that angel to announce to the world, roll the stone back so we could see what had happened. And even the, the women themselves, as they came and they saw that the stone was removed and they saw Jesus and they met him, they fell down, and the Bible says that they worshipped him. Later on, we know in the book of Romans that over 500 people saw Jesus himself. So this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, I want us to recognize that we believe it as a historical account that eyewitnesses for the last 2,000 years have attested to the fact of our Lord's resurrection. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, focus on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You see, the resurrection is the center point. It is the very core of our beliefs, the very center of our hope. As you know, we've been talking about uh, in the midst of the crisis that the globe is facing, and we've been talking about how to ha have a peace in our life and have hope and have security and all of those things. And, and as I shared last week, how we should rejoice and, and pray and, and give thanks to God 
the reason that we're able to do those things and the reason that we're challenged to do those things is because of the resurrection. Only because of the resurrection is that possible. Only because of the resurrection can we have hope in any crisis that comes. And it is that which is attested to from, from the last 2,000 years that we can put our faith in assuredly uh, and there, that our Lord is no longer dead, but he is alive. That he's alive. He rose from the grave to save, to save you and to save me. Now for us, we must be just like those women that they came seeking Jesus. What a shock. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed that they came expecting to mourn outside the, the tomb. I, I don't know if they had thought through all that they expected to find and what was going on, but they were surely not looking for a living Jesus. But that's exactly what they found. You see, the Bible tells us that the angel knew that they were seeking Jesus, the one who was crucified. This morning we have an Easter egg hunt at Tawasenta, and if you haven't gone to it or have kids or grandkids, I hope you'll make your way over there from 8 till noon. And uh, we have a, a little secret code on all the eggs. There's about a dozen eggs or so, and every egg has a different word, and it's actually, I'll, I'll let the secret out, it's actually this verse. So we took this verse, so every family that enters, enters into this, this little, you know, fun activity and wants their free ice cream cone for their kids, uh, they're going to be reminded that Jesus was not here, for he is, he is no longer dead, but he is risen. And uh, they're going to be reminded of that. And our hope and our prayer is that people would genuinely seek Jesus. See, he's the one that we should look to. He's the one that, that we need, the one that, that not only gives us hope, but that ultimately saves us. He's the one that, uh, that's the source of all that we are and all that we have. So the second thing I want to share with you is, is why the resurrection is so important. We know it's the center that gives us our hope and it's what, what, it's the very center of our beliefs and it's how we live as followers of Jesus. But to, to recognize that, I want to turn the verses to the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle tells us why the resurrection is so important. It's, it's Paul is, is talking in that, that book, really explaining in detail what Jesus is all about and what salvation is all about and how that we can know a God in heaven and have eternal life with him forever, that he really explains in tremendous detail. And in chapter 10, he, he shares with us the very kind of the thing that has to happen in our life for us to, to be saved, for us to be forgiven of our sins, to, to go to heaven when we die, to have hope while we're on this earth, and no matter the what comes, that we can have that. And he tells us that it centers on the resurrection. Listen to what, what Paul says, and he's explaining, you know, where does this salvation come from, and where does this righteousness that we can have from God? And he says, do we have to go up, you know, and ascend into heaven? to bring it down? Do we have to go down into the depths of the ocean to bring it up? In other words, do we have to move heaven and earth to experience this salvation through Jesus Christ? And he says, not at all. In verse 7 of Romans 10, he says, that word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. It's the word of faith that we proclaim, a word that, that's based on faith, our, our complete faith 
acceptance and obedience and reliance upon these truths. And here he explains it. Listen to this now. This is simple but profound. He says this. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it take for a person to be forgiven of their sins? What does it take for us to have hope in heaven and salvation and eternity? You know, we're good at people, as people, making those things really difficult. We're good at complicating things. We're good at making things bigger than they really need to be. But you know what the Bible tells us? It's actually rather simple. We don't have to do big things to move heaven and earth and go climb into heaven and descend into the depths of the ocean. But it's much closer to us. And it is simply confessing with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Our sins are the reason that we need salvation. The Bible tells us that we're all born sinners in this world, separated from God. I said a couple of weeks ago that God doesn't practice social distancing, and that's true when we think about us as his followers. For those who are redeemed, who have been forgiven of their sins and have received Jesus as Lord, God doesn't social distance from us. However, what we discover in Genesis 2 and 3 is that, that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, there was social distancing. You see, their sin separated between them and God. It had removed them, and it was much farther than six feet. It was for uh, infinity, and for all eternity, they were removed from God in heaven. And because of that, all of their descendants, which includes you and me, are born into this world sinners before God, disobeying God. We're born in this world lying and stealing and cheating and greedy and all of the stuff that we know and we, we are aware of in the news and that we see in our own hearts and our souls. And we're separated between a holy God that our sins have hidden his face from us, that he cannot hear us completely separated. But this wonderful little verse, among many others that say the same thing, but says this, that we are saved by confessing Jesus to be our Lord. That confess with our mouth means that we agree with. Confession doesn't so much mean admission. It, it means that, but it's more basic than that. It means we agree with. It means that I'm admitting and I agree that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that he is my boss, that I give him full control of my life, that I sign him over not only as the executor of my estate when I'm dead, I sign him over as the executor of my life while I'm alive. He is in charge. He calls all the shots. He's completely in control of my life. That's the first piece of it. The second piece is that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You see, without the resurrection, there is no salvation. It is not only the most important part of our salvation, it's the very centerpiece of why we have hope, why we can walk today with our heads held high, why we can rejoice and pray and give thanksgiving to God. 
is because Jesus is alive. And when we put our saving, our saving faith in him, when we surrender to Jesus as Lord, that he's in charge of our life, and we believe that it's through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the grave from those sins, that is when we, for the first time, are forgiven of those sins. And God removes the social distancing, and we become one with Jesus. And God forgives us. He accepts us and and. On, not on the basis of our good things that we do, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. You see, that's the problem that we often have, is that we are too busy as humans trying to solve this issue of, of right and wrong in our heart. We, we think that we can make religion and denominations and do all these things that will somehow make God forgive us. We can't manipulate God. We can't make God come to us on our terms. We have to come to God on God's terms. And what God's terms are is very simple. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. In other words, giving him full control of your life. Saying to him, Lord, from Jesus, from this time forward, would you be in charge of me? You see, we need to do that because God can't stand our sins. And he wants us to turn away, to put our back to our sins. And he wants us to turn forward and accept his son Jesus to be in control. There's a lot of people who are very religious. And there's a lot of religions in the world. And there's a lot of people who, are, who, who hold to the Christian faith, but who've never really surrendered their life to Jesus. You see, what this verse is telling us is it's not asking you to believe in God. It's not asking, are you a religious person? It's not saying that you need to be this good person or this person who's prayed or this person who grew up going to church or believing in God. What this verse tells us that salvation comes. It, it comes only by surrendering your life to Jesus. And as a part of that, really believing that the way Jesus saves you is only through his death and his resurrection. See, there's nothing that we can do. There's no, uh, no religious act that can overcome that. Going to church, participating in uh, the Lord's Supper or communion that we actually have recorded just after I uh, finished this, that if you'd like to participate that in that with your family, you can, can do that. But participating in that, you know, the, the Eucharist, that doesn't save you from your sins. Um, it's only Jesus who does. That's what the Bible says in just very simple words. I've talked to a lot of people over the years. And as I talk with people, one of the common things that I hear amongst people who are very religious, who love God, and who, who really want to do what's right by God, and, and that are spiritual people, people that I admire, and, and people that are, that are good and, and honorable, one of the things that I often hear with them is they think, is, is that all there is to it? I kept feeling like there needs to be more, like I, I need to do so many more things. Well, I, I want you to know if that's you, that being a good person and being faithful and religious and spiritual and going to church, your parents' church or grandparents' church, that's not what God's looking for is it's not good enough. The only thing that's good enough is Jesus' goodness and that, that his death on the cross is what saves us. So I wanna encourage you this Easter morning that if you've never really taken that minute to just say, wow, God, I want you to be in charge of my life. 
I know what that means. That means that I've got to let go of sin in my life. And God, I, that's going to be hard. But God, would you take that from me? Would Jesus save me? Would he forgive me? I want him to be in complete control of my life. And God, I believe that you love me and sent Jesus to die just for me. And he rose again. Would you do that this Easter? I can't think of a better time to do that. You know, I, as I think about all of the crises that are happening with coronavirus and, and COVID-19, for, for some people this will go by and it will be a time of inconvenience for them. They're able to work at home and, and just self-quarantine at home. For other people, it's meaning a loss of jobs. And, and, and disruptive of, of life uh, and, and their income and putting their livelihood uh, at risk. For some, I can imagine they, after this is over, may have to move to find employment. For others, they're losing a loved one and people that they know and that they love, a family member, a friend, are will die. So for each one of us, this experience is gonna be very unique. But regardless of how this comes and, and what happens in your family or my family, what this verse tells us is, is that the worst that could happen is that we would lose our life, but that God himself saves us and has already provided the cure. I don't know about you, but the fact that I know that God loved me and saved me and that my eternity is secure with him forever in heaven that gives me hope today that gives me hope in the middle of whatever I might face that gives me a reason to focus my joy in the in the midst of all of this and that gives me a reason to to as I look forward to not be depressed or to be discouraged but to find hope in Jesus so guys I, I hope in some ways this has encouraged you I hope it's sharpened you and put a focus on the resurrection. The resurrection is the single most important event in all of history to us as Christians. In fact, if the resurrection is not real, then everything we believe is a hoax. But because of the resurrection and because it's so well attested to hundreds of eyewitness believers and carefully recorded down through the, the, the centuries, that we believe in that as God's sufficiency to help us now and God's sufficiency to help us in eternity. And so today, as we celebrate Easter, I want you to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and to have hope in your family. And as you talk about that, I hope that you can talk about that more than COVID-19 today. I hope you can talk about what that means and about the implications of your life. I hope you'll share that with your kids and uh, one another with family as you get together with Easter. I hope you share that message. Maybe you even want to share this message and pass it forward. I don't know. But today, would you simply find that joy and that hope in Jesus? And if you don't really have that for sure, and if you've never really surrendered your life to him, would you just simply pray to him? Well, you may not know the right words. You really don't have to have the right words. You just simply say what's in your heart. God, I want you in charge. I want Jesus in charge. I believe that 
He died and rose for me. Would you save me? Just say those in your own words and you will have eternal life. God bless you. I can't wait till we get back to see each other again. I will be glad to do that. But until then, I'm praying for you and uh, pray that you have a blessed Easter. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.